Hello, everyone, and welcome to the City Baptist Church podcast, where it's our desire to help you find and follow Jesus. Our message today is from our current teaching series called Strangers and Pilgrims, uh, where we're going through the book of 1 Peter and just pulling out truth from the passages and seeing how they can apply in our lives today. Uh, we hope that the message is an encouragement to you and a blessing and just really something to aid you in your walk with God. This is our 17th message in 1 Peter as we walk through it verse by verse. And I know for me, it's certainly been a huge help, and I hope that it's been a help to you as well as we're studying uh, this word together. Now, persecution and suffering, I want us to remember just sort of a bit of review that persecution and suffering, if it had not already arrived to those scattered and uh, scattered strangers, and of course, we're talking about people who knew Christ, who had left their home, possibly because of persecution or just had moved for whatever reason, and they're away from their church family. But what we know is that persecution, if it had not already arrived, and suffering, if it had not already arrived, was well on its way. Peter, of course, was writing from Rome, we believe, at this time, and right about the time that he wrote this book, James, the apostle, had just been martyred for his faith. In fact, Peter himself was facing crucifixion not that far away from where we are right now when he's writing this, and he knew that it was only a matter of time until followers of Jesus Christ were going to become an ever-increasing target for the pagan Roman emperor and its followers. Peter's desire, of course, was to prepare the believers, and that's really what it was all about for him. He wanted to prepare those believers for what was to come, and what was coming, of course, was some difficulty. And he concluded for us uh, in our last study together in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, he said this, he said that how Christ, when he uh, died for our sins and the suffering of Christ, he died for us, the just for the unjust, and he likened that the fact that we as believers would also suffer as Christ suffered. The verse says, for Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And as we celebrated last week, if you remember on Easter Sunday, we celebrated the fact that the death of the flesh was not for very long because Jesus soon rose from the dead just three days later. And when he did, he proved his power over death. And what he did was secure in our hearts, secured in your heart and in my heart today, that we do not have to live in bondage to sin any longer. Now, this is a critical point as we move into the message today, that because of what Christ did for us on the cross, his victory over sin means that those of us who are his children, those of us who are saved today, and if you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, death and sin does not hold anything over you. You do not have to be in slavery and in bondage to sin anymore because of what Jesus did. And so we are able then, because of that, to pursue a distinct, uh, as defined earlier, a peculiar life that is in the pursuit of righteousness without that enslaving baggage and sin of the world. But don't be deceived today. Don't be deceived, I can't say that word, don't be that, don't be deceived, because a life in the pursuit of Jesus will also bring with it suffering in this fallen and broken world that we live in. So while we are free from uh, the bondage of sin, we are, have an eternal home in heaven, the fact is, is that we are still in a broken, fallen, sinful world, and so we will go through suffering and difficulty as a result of that. But as Peter said in chapter 3 and verse 17, make sure that the suffering you go through is for doing good and not for doing wrong. You remember that? 
He said, you're going to endure suffering, yes. And he's not talking about like, oh, you, you cheated on your taxes or you lied at work and you got in trouble. Oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, 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 no. You're suffering because you did wrong. He's talking about you will suffer for doing good, in fact. And that's really been uh, an overriding theme that we've been impacting uh, in this passage here. But the thing about it is that even though we may suffer for doing right, ultimately Jesus is the righteous judge. Ultimately, he's going to make all things right. And it's a powerful life-giving message that Peter has been giving to us and specifically been giving to those scattered strangers and pilgrims, those that are away from their church family. Now, suffering is still, I want you to know as we continue now into chapter four, suffering is still the primary focus. We should still be willing and still be ready to suffer as Christ suffered, but not just so that we could be a witness for the Lord, but we would suffer because suffering can actually help us stay away from sin. Suffering can actually help us live a life that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly enough, up until this point, whenever he talked about suffering, he says, if and it, you know, it may come. Do you remember that? It's kind of the idea of like, maybe suffering will come. Well, now we see him sort of transition a little bit and begin to talk about suffering as inevitable, a sure thing for the follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be thinking right now, why should I, as a Christian, not only embrace submission, as we talked about earlier in chapter 3, but why should I, as a Christian, also embrace the idea of suffering? Why should I embrace the whole uh, thought process of difficulty coming into my life? Why should I surrender to that calling? And you might even be thinking that question, like, why would I do that? You might also be thinking, okay, well, what does that even look like? What does it mean for a follower of Jesus Christ to actually surrender to the calling of suffering. We're going to talk about that this morning as Peter really clearly and naturally answers that question for us. And so I want to dig into the word together with you. I've got five points. I hope you're going to take some notes and write them down today. The first thing that Peter says when it comes to embracing uh, the calling of suffering in the life of the Christian is to, first of all, have the mind of Christ. He says here, have the mind of Christ. Look with me at verse number one of chapter four. He says, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now the first challenge that Peter gives to us here is he says very clearly, he says, arm yourself. You notice that there? Arm yourself. Now that is a military word. It's what you imagine. He's saying you need to get strapped. You know, you need to arm yourself with some weapons. Now specifically it's talking about the idea of armor in this sense. And not just like leather armor. He's talking about steel armor. A heavy armor that you need to put into your life. And he says you need to arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Now this is so interesting because what he's trying to get across to us here is that we need to have the mind or we need to have the thinking like Christ. And when we do that, it becomes a weapon of defense and a weapon of offense for us when we face suffering in this earth. Now, this is a totally different approach the way that our world take, uh, takes when it comes to this idea, right? You got to think about it. The average Christian, the average Christian, and listen, we've all been here. I've been here. You've probably been there. The average Christian, really what we desire out of the Christian life is a full bank account and peace, right? <laughs> That's really what we hope for, right? Now, all my financial problems be gone, and I want peace with everybody. That's the perfect Christian life. And so that's the way that we often think. But I want you to notice the, the, the wording that is used here. There's a military, there's a 
suffering, there's a difficult connotation here to what, what he's saying, that we need to have this mind of Christ that is defensive for us, but it also can be offensive. Now, the way that we understand this in a better way is that when you study the life of Christ, you notice how intentionally Jesus approached his time on the earth, right? Jesus wasn't wasting time. You know, you don't read in the book of John, and Jesus took three weeks off to go to the beach and go surfing, you know? Uh, Jesus took, you know, eight weeks to just travel around Europe and discover himself. No, he came with intentionality to this life. He came, he knew what he wanted to do. And one of the things that Jesus was so intentional about was the fact that he was a stranger, that this world was not his home, and that he expected, yes, expected hardship in his life. He expected and he talked about difficulty that was going to come into his life. And because he expected it, he was able then to face it without fear. And Peter is trying to say to us, listen, you need to have the same kind of thinking. I want to make it sort of concise for us. He says that he's saying this, be ready. Don't be surprised. If you are united with Christ in faith, you will identify with him and suffering. And this is the mind of Christ that he's trying to get across to us. It's like, don't be surprised that suffering is going to come. Because if you have this mind, it means you will be able to persevere. You will be able to walk through those challenges and those sufferings that come along your way. You know, if you've ever had a really hard meeting at work, you've ever had that before? Your boss is like, I need to meet with you on Thursday at 9 a.m. And you're like, this is not going to be good, (laughs) right? They never want to meet with me. They never want to talk to me. Why do they want to have a meeting with me? This is not going to be a good situation. And so guess what? What do you do in your mind? You prepare yourself for a difficult meeting, don't you? You prepare yourself. When that family member says, hey, can we get together for a coffee and talk, right? Oh man, okay, this maybe won't be good. (laughs) So what do you do? So you prepare yourself mentally. And because you're prepared mentally for it, you're able to go into it uh, with a little bit of a different approach because you know that it's coming. Now, put that on the flip side. Have you ever had something just happen so unexpectedly? Out of the blue, your boss just pops his head in the office and says, hey, you're fired. (laughs) No meeting, (laughs) no meeting, you're fired. Have you ever had something that just is so unexpected, and I think you understand what it means, how you faced it then completely differently, right? They're both hard situations, they're both difficult situations, but you face them completely differently because one of them you were prepared for, and one of them you were unprepared for. It's like when you're a parent and your child falls down the stairs and hits their head in the drywall the first time. The first time that happens, I'm I'm just, I don't know, maybe it happens to some other people besides us. I'm kidding. It's happened a lot to us. The first time it happens, man, we are in the car and we are on our way to the hospital, right? We're shining flashlights in their eyeballs, you know, and we're like, are you okay? Stay awake, stay awake. You know, we're we're thinking the worst things possible to get there. They're like, oh yeah, they're totally fine. Kids' heads are kind of, you know, they got that soft spot. It kind of compresses when they hit. It's like a natural, uh, oh, it's great. Yeah, creepy, right? (laughs) So guess what happens the next time they fall down the stairs and put their head through the drywall? It might be a little bit of a bigger dent, but you know what? We don't freak out as much. We, didn't, we don't panic as much because we're like, you know what? They survived the last one. They're probably going to be okay. Now, yes, we still check on them in case you're wondering. Yes, we make sure they're okay. Their eyes aren't dilated. We want to make sure, just in case you think we're not abusing anybody here. We still make sure they're okay. But I didn't approach it in the same way. Jeanette didn't scream, you know, at the top of her, ah! you know? We approach it differently. It was still a difficult and a hard situation, but we approached it differently because we knew what to do. You know, many of you guys know that uh, a couple of years ago, Jeanette uh, had some health issues and, uh, and had a seizure. First time in her life. I, I mean, just, and, and, and I witnessed it happen right in front of me. And guess what? That was very, very difficult to go through a very unexpected thing. But you know what? About, what, six or seven or eight months later, she had a second one. And you know what? It was still very difficult. It was still very hard. But because of what we'd already gone through, we kind of knew what to expect. 
and wasn't as difficult. Here's the point I want us to understand this morning is that when you have the mind of Christ, it means that you have an expectation that suffering is going to come. So when that suffering comes because you're living for Christ, you're not just going to just panic and, 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 and totally freak out, but you're going to understand that, okay, this is a part of the Christian life. And guess what? I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. It's going to be okay. Now, second part of the verse there, I want you to notice something that he says, and it, and it comes with the same idea, but it, it does require that we do a little bit of explanation on it. Because notice how he says here, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, at face value, when you read this, it looks like Peter is saying that it's possible to not sin anymore. All right, if you just read it for face value. Now, of course, experience and comparative scripture teaches us that that's not the case. Because <laughs> even the apostle Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. I sin as well. So we understand that he's not saying that. So what is it that Peter here is trying to say to us? What he is saying is this. He's affirming for us this thought that if you are a believer who is suffering for the gospel, what it means is that at some point in your Christian life, you have decided and you have demonstrated in your life that, you know what? I'm dead to sin. I am not going to let sin control my life any longer. That does not mean that you will not sin but what it does mean that I'm going to stop continuing along in that sinful path of life. Now, I hope that that's a decision that every one of you has made here today, that there was a time where you were like, you know what, because of the righteousness of God and because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, that I am right now, I am deciding, I am not going to live any longer. I may struggle. I may have difficulties in that area, but you know what? I am not going to live in that any longer. I'm dead to that. I'm going to cease to continue walking in that sinful pattern of life. And he's trying to say here that at some point, if you are a person who has suffered in the flesh, again, he's comparing it to Christ and the mind of Christ, you suffered because of your righteousness, because of your salvation. He says at some point you've resolved in your heart to cease from walking in that sin. Because when we were saved, we died in Christ. Our old man was put to death and we are freed from the penalty of sin. And so we regard ourselves as free to, uh, dead to sin. Remember, it's because of Christ that we no longer have to live under that penalty of sin. We are going to heaven. We are no longer destined to separation from God. And so we're able to move forward, and we strive then to be free from sin's power because of the power of Christ that is within us. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. So he's, he's, he's giving us a comparative that when Christ was crucified on the cross, that old man, that sinful nature, was also crucified with him. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm not dead in the flesh. He says, yet I live. But Christ, he says, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is where suffering can be helpful because just as Christ's suffering led to death and resurrection, in the same way, the suffering that we might go through in the Christian life can help us to avoid sinning and can help us really enter into a full life of complete service to God. So amazing that if you've ever experienced true suffering because of your faith, or you've gone through a time of suffering that was of no fault of yours, it's just the difficulties of life, isn't it amazing how that draws you to Christ? Right. Isn't it amazing how, and it just pulls you so close to God, and you desperately crave him, and you desire him in your life? It's the point here is that, listen, when you're suffering for righteousness sake, you are drawn to God. You're, I don't want to be in sin. I want to know Christ. I want to know that fulfillment and that contentment that comes from him. And you, and you really reach to him, and you go after him. 
See, this is the mind of Christ, that we face and we look at difficulty with expectation, of course. We know that suffering's going to come, but because of that, then we determine to live for God and not be slaves to sin any longer. It's great how it all just sort of connects. I hope you're connecting the dots with me. I hope you are. And if if you're not, talk to me after the service. I want to help connect it for you maybe a little bit more. But the, the whole idea here is that suffering that is expected gives us strength, actually, because we're able to walk through it, because you will go through suffering. You will struggle in life. And so he says here that we need to have the mind of Christ, and that's something we should focus our attention on. But secondly, he says that we live for the will of God. So have the mind of Christ, but also live for the will of God. Look with me now at verse number two. It says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So when we determine in our hearts that we are going to resolve to face life strong in the faith, there is a natural progression towards the desire to obey the will of God. Now, this is a great verse here to help us understand of what the will of God is, because he gives us a contrast in the verse. Notice how he says, no longer would live the rest of your time in the lusts of the flesh, but you should live for the will of God. If you ever want to know what the will of God is for your life, it is the opposite of the lusts of the flesh. You see the contrast there? If you want to know what God's will is, it is not fulfilling the lust of your flesh. It is pursuing the will of God. So what is the will of God? Now, here's the great thing. Peter's already talked about it. So I just want to remind us about a couple things in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He said this, remember, he said that we should gird up the loins of your mind. And that was a really interesting phrase we covered back several weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago. Be sober and hope to the end is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts of your ignorance. There's the same idea, not the, the old lust that you pursued, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye, what? Say it with me. Holy in all manner of conversation. That is your lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. So the will of God, if the will of God is seen in the contrast of our fleshly desires, then what we know for sure is this. If we're going to prepare our minds for suffering, it means that we need to completely give ourselves to the will of God, which the will of God is the pursuit of holiness. The pursuit of holiness. Now, holiness, church, is not a doctrine that a lot of people like to talk about. I'll tell you this. It's not a doctrine that a lot of churches talk about. They'll talk about a lot of things, but the holiness of God and our pursuit of holiness is not one of those things that's talked about a lot, but it's so key to to the um, fulfilled Christian life. It is so key that we are pursuing something that is greater than ourselves, because if you live your life searching within yourself for goodness, you're always going to come up dry. You're always going to struggle, but when you pursue the holiness of God and who he is and perfect and righteous and all things right, that is where you can begin to discover his will and what he desires for you. That is where God begins to work in you in a way like you never thought possible and you never have experienced before in pursuing him and his righteousness. This is how we embrace the calling. See, there's, I think the truth is today that any one of us would do whatever it takes to grow in our education to be financially secure right? I I would hope so. I would assume you would. Every one of us here today would deny ourselves in order to be in better health for our children. Every one of us here would sacrifice something we need to get something we want. Isn't that interesting about life? And we'll do whatever it takes to make sure that our life and our physical life and our home and everything is taken care of. But when it comes to the will of God, are you willing to sacrifice the lusts of your flesh in order to pursue the holiness of God in your own life? See, this is the calling for the Christian who has the mind of Christ, that our lives become pursuing uh, holiness, and of course, becoming then, because of that, we become a representation of Christ 
on this earth, even though we know, remember, it's going to result in suffering. That's always the overriding theme here. We're pursuing the holiness of God. We're pursuing that, knowing that suffering will come as a result. Remember what Peter said in chapter 2, verse 5, where he says, ye also as lively stones. And I love that whole picture. And we talked about that. I keep, I'm going to reference several old messages. If you missed them, go on the YouTube channel or the podcast. They're all on there. You can check them out. But he says, as lively stones, you are built up into, uh, built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. What is that living sacrifice? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's a reasonable thing for us as believers, as followers of Jesus, to pursue a life of holiness. If you are pursuing a life of holiness, you are living in the will of God. If you want to know what is God's will for my life, it is pursuing holiness in your life, pursuing holiness in your actions. Pursuing holiness in the way that you present yourself to the lost and dying world. That is the will of God for your life. And we need to pursue that. And so if we are to be people who are preparing ourselves to suffer for Christ, then we must live for the will of God. But he continues in the passage, and we'll look back at verse number two and three again here, where he also encourages us that we must leave behind our past. Leave behind your past. Look with me at verse two again. At the beginning of the verse, he says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Then verse 3, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Living in the will of God depends on our willingness to leave behind the lusts of our flesh. Here it's described as the lusts of the Gentiles, or the will of the Gentiles. Notice the, the contrasting words there, the will of God, the will of the Gentiles. Now, of course, the Gentiles represented the current dominant culture of the day. Not, obviously, not Jews, but Gentiles. This was, of course, a pagan culture. These were people that were involved in so many different kinds of sins, as he lists out here for us very specifically. And the call to strangers and pilgrims, which we are still today, we're a minority here in this city of, of people who follow after Jesus Christ. We are strangers and pilgrims. We're looking forward to that home that we return, will return to one day and, and uh, be joined with Jesus Christ. But he's saying here that you must be willing to leave behind the lust of the flesh. And I like how Peter says it. He says, for the time past of our life may suffice us. He say, what in the world is he saying there? Here's what it means. He's saying here, enough already, it's time to move on. He's saying the time has come to put your sin in your past, and it's time to leave it behind. Now, theologically, what Peter is saying is that if you're going to genuinely suffer for Christ, you will not genuinely suffer for Christ unless you leave behind the sins of your past in order to pursue the will of God. It's all connected here. You leave behind the sins of your past so you can pursue after the will of God. And Peter does not leave us guessing one bit. He gets very, very specific of the sins that we should leave behind. So let's talk about these for a moment here. He says that we should leave behind lasciviousness. And that's probably not a word that you use in your day-to-day -day, you know, talk. Like, did you see? That was, that, that was lasciviousness, if I've ever seen it before in my life. Uh, lasciviousness is a strong word, though. And it carries a lot of meaning to it. Really what it means is sexual immorality of all kinds. So I guarantee you, you've seen lasciviousness this week. That's an immorality that just sort of permeates a person. 
the way they talk and the way they think and the way that they act, the things that they involve themselves in. That is lasciviousness. He talks about lust. Now, that goes beyond just the sexual desire. That is talking about worldly desires. So lusting after the things of this world, which, of course, would involve the flesh, but also just the pursuit of, of uh, just all the things that our world is pursuing after, wealth and power and all of these kind of things. He talks about here excessive wine. That's drunkenness being involved in intoxicating ways. He says re- revelings. That's, that's a drunken carousing. That is, uh, that is group immorality. And you can sort of fill in what that is. It's the idea of gathering with people and committing immoral acts together in a, in a group. Banquetings, that is uh, basically going, to a pla- going from place to place of indulgence. Today we just say that's just partying. Just hitting party after party, like that's your lifestyle, that's what you're doing. And then abominable idolatries, that of course is pagan uh, worship. That's worshiping after things that do not honor God. It's not unlike Romans chapter 13 that says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in writing and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now, all of these are very, very familiar to us. Even if you are not involved in them in a a physical way, even if you are not involved with them in in an active way, I want to tell you today, and I think you know this, the struggle is real in your mind, isn't it? That even though you may never step outside of maybe what you know to do what is right as far as with your body and sin with your body in a certain way, you certainly are dealing with it in your mind. That is why Jesus took the, the, the sin of adultery and he made it a matter of the heart. Right? He, before, people say, well, I didn't commit adultery. He says, but if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. So he made it a heart, a heart thing. He made it a mind thing. And so for us today, while we see these, we say, well, I'm not going out and I'm not involved in this kind of crazy stuff. But if it's in your heart, if it's in your mind, it is something that needs to be removed from your life. You say, whoa, pastor, what are you talking? It's in the Bible. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. Because some of you are living constantly in a just, I mean, your mind is a cesspool. Your mind is what is just described right there. And you continually go there and you think about it and you ponder it and you live in it. And it's destroying you from the inside. And what I want to tell you today is that the lust of your flesh will keep you from the will of God. It will keep you from holiness. And so we must remove them from our life. We must get rid of them. We must put them behind. Notice how he says there uh, in the verse that we need to get rid of them. He says, uh, for in time past, uh, you've wrought the will of the Gentiles. And in verse 2, he says, no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men. So what he's saying is get rid of them. It's time. Enough's enough. That's what he's saying. And listen, church family, God has plans for your mind. God has plans for your body. And they are plans for purity and for good. That's what they're for. Don't cheapen your life. Don't give in to distortion. Be done with the sensuality, those passions, the drunkenness, the mindless parting, the worldly idolatry, the pursuit of those things. Be done with them. Leave them behind because they're not helping you. They're not helping you. You want to talk today about someone going through a difficulty... You can always trace it back to something that began in their mind. The things that people do, sometimes you hear about certain stories or you hear about uh, maybe somebody in a spiritual context or maybe a pastor who got involved in some crazy thing. You're like, where did this come from? It didn't just happen overnight. It starts in the mind. It starts in the heart. It becomes something that you're so focused on and passionate about. And eventually it results in action which can destroy so many lives. You need to leave those behind. 
Don't settle for it. The evidence of a lost person is that they're involved in these things. But because of Christ, and this is what we got to remember, we can be free from that. We can be free from that. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where he lists all of these difficult sins and challenges that they were going through. And then in verse number 11, he says this, but such were some of you. Such were some of you. What is he saying? He's saying you used to be that way, but you're not any longer. And I'm so thankful today that in our church family and in my life that we can say we used to be that way, but we're not anymore. I'm so thankful for that today. I'm so thankful for testimonies in our church family, so many of you, that if I gave you five minutes to come up here and say, tell me what you were, tell me what you are. And, and some of you would be like, I can't believe that. I love it when people visit our church or they come for the first time and maybe they have like a, a difficult past. Some of you have said this to me, I don't know, pastor, it just seems like everybody here's got it all figured out. Man, everybody here's just had the perfect life. They don't know what I've been through. And I'll say, oh yeah? <laughs> Why don't you go talk to so-and-so? Why don't you go talk to this person? Why don't you go talk to the people in our church that were at one time drunkards, drug addicts, immoral. I could go on and on and on. Abusers. And yet because of Christ, we're not that way anymore. We're not that way anymore. Man, it's enough to make you get excited. <laughs> That's the power of God. That's the power of God in us. And we need that. We need that. We need to leave behind our past. But I want you to know that with that comes a challenge because he says to continue here to be prepared then for rejection. <laughs> when you decide to leave behind your past, be ready for some rejection. Look at verse four. He says, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. And then he says, you're speaking evil of you. You know, when you take those first steps in following after Christ and your good works catch up with your faith, the outward changes begin to get noticed. This is so interesting. First, it's your family. It's your friends. Uh, they'll be surprised. <laughs> what? what do you mean you don't want to go out with us this weekend? Uh, what do you mean you don't want to uh, go hook up with that guy anymore? What do you mean you broke up with them? And they'll, they'll be all surprised and, and they won't know what to do and they'll, and they'll be misunderstood because for them, there's no category for them to understand why you're no longer pursuing the same things that they're pursuing, why you're not uh, going after the, any, anything you can in this life without any regard for the next life. And, they, and they're, they're misunderstanding. They don't know what to do. They're going to wonder why you aren't living like they are. They'll be surprised. It will seem strange. They might even come to you and say, hey, are you doing Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen you out for a last day. Like, are you all right? Like, is, there, is there everything okay with you? And, and, and they'll come and it'll seem, they'll have a lot of great concern and they'll wonder uh, why, why everything has changed. And the thing is that if you stand strong, that surprise soon turns to slander is what we see. And they go from being surprised in the changes to now beginning to talk about you behind your back. They'll stop reaching out to you. They'll start uh, avoiding you. It's a pattern I've seen time and time and time again, and many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And the reason is not because you've become a bad person and they don't want to be around you anymore. The reason is, is because they do not understand the change that has happened in your life because of your faith. And because they don't understand it, do you know how they feel? They begin to feel judged by you. They begin to feel judged by you. And when people begin to feel judged, guess what? 
they respond harshly. They respond unkindly. And because they don't know Christ as their Savior, they respond in an ungodly way as well. And the amazing thing is this. You may have never said a word about what happened in your life. (laughs) You may have said anything about Jesus at all, and they start to notice the changes in your life. I read this really interesting story about Billy Graham uh, from, this was in the 70s. This story happened in the 70s. Billy Graham, and and here he is with President Gerald Ford. Billy Graham was an avid golfer, so I just, I totally feel connected to him, you know, and, and he loved to golf, and he was involved in, in this, and he played all over, and he played with a lot of famous people, but the story is, is that uh, they were involved in sort of a match play with some pro PGA Tour golfers, and so these golfers, and Billy Graham, and President Ford were, uh, were there together, and after the round of golf was over, one of the other pros came to the pro who had played with the foursome, with the group, and he came to him, and he said, hey, uh, he said, was, uh, he, he said how, how did it go? What was it like playing with the president? And what was it like playing with Billy Graham? And the pro who, when he asked him that, he just unleashed a just torrent of cursing. Just started just bloop, 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 you know, bleeping out. You can't, I can't say it for you here today. I'm just saying all this stuff, you know. And he's just cursing. And in a disgusted manner, he said this. He said, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing religion down my throat. And he stormed off. Well, this pro, this other golf pro who was there was like, whoa, man, what a reaction. So he followed him, and he went to the practice uh, range, and the guy just started hitting golf balls (laughs) at the driving range. And this guy just sat, and he watched him for a while. And in a break, he said this to this guy who was so angry. He said to him, he said, said, hey, was, was Billy a little rough on you out there? That's how he referred to him. Was Billy a little rough on you out there? And the pro at that time just sort of sighed, like this big sigh. And he said this. He said he didn't even mention religion. He didn't even say a word about religion at all whatsoever. That's amazing. Because what it tells us is that Billy Graham was the man who was so connected with faith, was so connected with Jesus Christ, so associated with the things of God, that his very presence was enough to anger an unsaved pro golfer. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. Just the fact that he was there. Reminds me of Proverbs 28, verse 1, that says, The wicked flee when no man pursues. Martin Luther, one of the reformers, said this. He said, and I believe he was right when he said this. I don't believe he was right in everything he said, but in this, he was right where he says that the pagan does tremble at the rustling of a leaf. He feels the hound of heaven breathing down his neck. He feels crowded by holiness, even if it is only made present by an imperfect, partially sanctified human vessel. Now think about that. He says here that, that he feels crowded by, hol- I love that last phrase, crowded by holiness, even if that holiness is only represented by one of us, an imperfect, partially sanctified human vessel. See, when a Christian decides to follow after Jesus, there's an expected rejection that will come. And it can be disheartening, can't it? It can be challenging. However, God can use your faith to stir another person to follow after Jesus as well. And so take heart. And many of you have experienced that, where someone else has come to Christ because of the change that was made in you. Not because you were preaching at them. Not because you're like, yeah, sorry, I can't go out tonight. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that wasn't it at all. You weren't just texting them, you know, Christian memes, you know. No, just by your very presence, and God used that. And so expect that. That's part of the suffering of righteousness that comes by just being, realize rejection is going to come. And listen, I know it's hard. It's hard. Many of you have suffered in that way. You've suffered the loss of people that you thought were like your best friends. 
You thought they were like, I mean, we are ride or die, right? They're with me. And you became a Christian, and it was like, I never knew you. <laughs> and that's hard. That's hard, and that's challenging, and I, I understand that. But listen, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be some suffering that's going to come. There's going to be some suffering that's going to come. So make sure it's suffering for the right thing. Suffering for the right thing. All right, let's get to the last point here. Remember, Jesus is in control. This is my favorite point. <laughs> this is my favorite point here. Because it gets hard sometimes when you see the word and the word speaks to us. and He's like, you need to leave behind some stuff. And you're like, well, that stuff? Yes, that stuff. You need to leave it behind. You might be rejected. You might go through suffering. But remember, Jesus is always in control. Verse 5 and 6. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? That's the alive and the dead. For, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Peter closes out the text reminding us about the final judgment. And he does it. He wants to be an encouragement to us. He wants to remind us that no matter what it is that we go through, the challenges, the suffering, and specifically those that would malign us and turn against us and reject us, there is a judgment that is coming to all people. And so understanding that a judgment is coming, it means this. It means that you don't have to live your life in judgment of others. That's the hard part, isn't it? That's the hard part. You don't have to live your life as their eternal judge. They have an eternal judge. And he is Jesus Christ the righteous who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he is righteous and holy and perfect and the right judge. And he will make the right decision, won't he? And you don't have to live as their judge any longer. You are freed from that. That's an amazing, freeing understanding about God that if you can get that settled in your heart can just be so freeing man too many of us live in constant judgment of other people we live in constant judgment of those that have harmed us that have hurt us and while maybe your unsaved friend would say yeah you totally should live in that way Jesus says you don't have to live in that way because I am the righteous and holy and perfect judge and so I ask you today and I implore you would you release that to God would you release that to God you don't have to live as that judge. You don't have to live your life in condemnation to those. Rather, give yourself to the one who will make all things right. And you can be satisfied and you can find joy in the midst of suffering that you never expected. In other words, I think if we're going to put it simply today, no matter what you face in this life, you have nothing to fear. <laughs> you have nothing to fear. Because God is in control. You do not have to fear embracing suffering. You don't have to fear death. And so God gives us here some guidelines. He says, listen, I want you to know that, yes, suffering will come, but ultimately I'm in control and I'm going to make all things right. There is a final accounting for everything. And those that are in Christ will live in the spirit, will live in joy and peace and happiness forevermore with God in heaven. And I am so looking forward to that day where we can be free from this world's suffering and pain and struggle. And you know what? You can be free from that pain that you're in today right now. You can be free from that judgment. You can be free from that flesh, from that sins of your flesh, if you would just completely turn and rely on Jesus Christ and say, God, I want to pursue holiness. I do not want to pursue that sin any longer. That's the question for today. Will you do that? Will you do that? The word is so clear to us today. It's so clear. Will you take that step of faith? Will you take that step forward and say, God, I'm done with this. Today's the day. You say, I've prayed that before. I've asked God to remove the sin from my life. I've asked him to 
would you start today again? Would you start today? Here's the great thing about our God is that he's always waiting for us. He's always waiting for us. And he wants us like the prodigal son to return and say, Father, I have sinned. And he will restore you to your rightful place. He will restore you to that relationship with him. That's all that God desires. Would you take that step of faith today? We hope that today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.